Do you buy groceries, beauty products, have a gym membership, fill up on gas, go out to eat, or are looking forward to your next travel experience? If you answered yes, then don't miss out on the Chase Sapphire Preferred Card. No foreign transaction fees and points on all your other purchases. Features I enjoy using in Ultimate Rewards are the Pay Yourself Back feature and the Cash Back feature. Use the referral link in this episode to get a sign-on bonus that is currently 60,000 bonus points when you spend $4,000 in the first three months. With 24-7 concierge services and trip cancellation and interruption insurance, you can travel with peace of mind. Apply now using the link in this episode description and start earning valuable points on all your everyday and out-of-the-ordinary adventures. Hey, welcome to the Echo and Encourage podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Garrido, and I'm here to talk about all things that echo eternity and encourage everyone. From how to embrace entrepreneurship to the best tips to flourish in your life. Thanks so much for listening. Let's dive in. Phyllis Mantelli is an author of the book, Unmothered life with a mom who couldn't love me. She is an inspirational speaker at churches, retreats, conventions, celebrate recovery groups, and rotary groups. She is currently writing her second book on lessons of how to break generational dysfunction. She is a certified ASA writing and speaking coach, a graduate of the Christian Communicators Conference, and is certified as a linked personality coach. She loves helping and coaching women reach their full God-given potential despite their trauma-filled past. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Phyllis. It's an honor to have you here. Oh, I'm so excited that you asked me. I can't wait to dig into some good topics. (laughs) This is awesome. This is going to be so much fun. You are the author of Unmothered, Life with a Mom Who Couldn't Love Me. How did you break through the pain and replace it with the heart of a daughter who not only loves her mother unconditionally, but also loves others unconditionally? Yeah, that's a loaded question. Yeah. (laughs) So first of all, my mom passed in 2007 from dementia. And so um, I was not in contact with my mom from about 18 to maybe 22. She came back into my life. Um, she was in and out all the time. So I'll do a little back history. So my mom was, um, I grew up in a really violent home life. My mom and dad were physically violent with each other. And then my mom was, um, an alcoholic. She was very depressed and I think she was bipolar. So, um, we, dealt with a lot of, uh, just dysfunction in the family, but you know, you don't know that as a young child, you just grow up that way. So my mom and I had a very, um, tumultuous relationship as I grew to be a teenager. I just get, I got tired of really seeing all the wrong things that she was doing, knowing it was wrong, but also not knowing what was right. Cause I didn't know any different. So it was kind of normal for me. So I, started going down the same kind of path of just different things that I was doing, you know, drugs and alcohol and, you know, being with boys and just the whole thing. And, um, but I just, I thought that I was being healthy because I wouldn't let somebody physically hurt me. But what I didn't understand is like, there's emotional hurt abuse. There's, um, manipulative abuse. There's a lot of different abuses that don't leave marks Mm -hmm. that leave marks on your heart, but they don't leave physical marks. And so, When I came back to seeing my mom on a regular basis was when I um, had my firstborn daughter, Um, my mom broke a hip and the hospital called me 24 hours later because she had come in so drunk that they couldn't really, they couldn't understand what was going on and she was screaming and they couldn't give her medicine because she, you know, was inebriated. And so they had to wait. So my mom was in pain with this broken hip for 24 hours screaming, which I felt horrible for the nurse, (laughs) just screaming all night. And they finally got it out of her. Who do you want us to call? 
And they found my number in her purse and called me. And at the time, I hadn't really been in contact with her for, I don't know, might have been years. And there's three children at this point. And my siblings wanted nothing to do with her. And there, and so I just want to preface this by saying I was not a Christian at the time. I've always had my mom raised us as Catholic. So I had a belief in God. I look back now and I know God walked with me through all of these hard times and protected me in a lot of places, but I didn't have a relationship with God, but there was something tugging at my heart that I couldn't say no to this woman. And so I went to the hospital and I heard her screaming and I apologized to the nurses and and I said, I'll take care of her. Uh, Something about my mom and I was that Out of all three children, I think I was the only one that could calm her down. It was something in my demeanor. So I don't know, maybe it was a gift. (laughs) And, um, and so when she saw me, she started crying. And so I just said, you know, her biggest fear was always doctors and policemen, because growing up in the 60s, which I've talked to so many women that were raised in that era, people didn't talk about what was going on in their lives. No one had real communication. And so I grew up being taught, you toughen up, you get through it, you shut up, you don't say anything. And it just came to this point where I looked at this woman and now I'm a mom. And it was like, she looked frail to me. I saw her through different eyes. And I just knew like, I can't, I just can't walk away from her. But that journey took me on a place where I had to set very high boundaries because she was not healthy for me. If I wanted to create a healthy family, she was very toxic. So being able to love somebody doesn't mean that you completely just give up all of your um, ambitions to create something new. I believe that boundaries are the number one thing when you grow up with somebody who's dysfunctional is you have to set rules down. And if they don't abide by those rules, then they cannot be a part of your family, even if they're related to you. And I think that is very God loving because God does not want you to continue a generation and the next generation seeing that same kind of dysfunction over and over and over again. And I think that's where Christians get it wrong is that they want everybody to forgive and forget. And what I say is that harsh words can always be forgiven, but they will never be forgotten. Mm -hmm. It's super important. So I really want to emphasize that, that loving your, loving someone who's difficult doesn't mean that you bow down and let them do whatever they want to you. You wouldn't let a friend do that to you. You should not let a relative do that to you. So over the course of 16 years, there was some more broken bones and different things that happened. And as I was raising my daughters, I became a Christian when I was pregnant with my second daughter. And God took me on this journey to show me like, you can love your mom, but you can also raise this family in a different way, but it's going to be difficult. And so all of those things were things that I had to learn, um, you know, how to set those boundaries and how to be there for her, but also pull her out of situations that were stressful. Like you always think if you have a better family, you could just bring them in and it's going to be so loving because look at what we can give you now. Like you don't have to be afraid anymore. We can give you all this stuff. But when they're not mentally capable of handling that, What I was doing was putting her in these situations with my husband's family where she was very uncomfortable. And so she would act out. Mm -hmm. So I ended up having to like pull her out of that and say, you know what, we'll come see you privately the next day, like after a holiday or something, you can't be a part of our holiday because she would just, it was like an elephant in a China shop. She would just like knock everything over and make everything a mess. And so it's very difficult to love somebody unconditionally. Um, And I don't think unconditionally means bowing down to what they want. It's more, I love you even when. Mm -hmm. Wow, Phyllis, your story is incredible. And I am so sorry for your loss of your mom. And I just wanna honor your story 
just pause for a moment because that was that was very that was a lot <laughs> yeah wow would you please share, Phyllis, a little bit more about what are some of the different forms of emotional abuse that someone might be doing to others, whether they realize it or not? This could be between uh, parents and their children, it could be siblings, it could be husbands or wives, friendships, some of the emotional abuse that happens, these things that hurt the heart and the body does keep score. Mm -hmm. I love that you asked that question because I'm actually in the process of getting certified as a trauma coach. And it's something that I'm really studying that I, um, I didn't recognize before even raising my girls. And so I had to go back and apologize because <laughs> some of my traumas I put onto them. Um, the emotional thing, I think the easiest way to describe it, first of all, everybody has a family of origin. Okay. So you come into a relationship and your family has done certain things that have like stuck onto you. And then you bring that baggage in and then your spouse comes from a different family and he's had things that have happened. And then he brings that baggage in and then you come together and you're like, well, we're like two different ships in the night, you know, with these family of origins. And they don't necessarily have to be like big traumas or anything like that. They could be ideals that people had. And all of a sudden you think it's truth. But then you realize it's not really working in this situation. Emotional abuse comes in when your partner doesn't realize, like when I had triggers, my husband was very gentle and kind with me of like, why are you feeling like that? Like, I didn't mean it this way. Well, it was because that what he mentioned brought me back to the little six-year-old child that was being yelled at and saying, negative things to me. So I brought that into the relationship, right? When you are being abusive, you're going to tell someone you're stupid for feeling that way. Um, nobody's going to love you. You're so crazy, or you're overly sensitive. You're too much of this. You're not enough of that. They don't come together and try to figure out well, what's our happy medium. What's good for us in our relationship because we bring these two different patterns into now we are one. So how do you meet in the middle and say, you know, this is what a healthy relationship looks like. And also communication is everything. So I think when somebody's really toxic, you know, right away, but what we do is we make excuses, especially if it's a relative. So when you are in love with somebody, like take, for instance, just young girls with boyfriends, even, you know, you love that person. Like I said before, you would never let your friend keep telling you how dumb you are or making you do something you don't want to do out of the name of love. So I would just say the easiest answer to that is if it's something that is harming you, that doesn't feel good with your heart, you need to think about that before you agree to that. Because what you're doing is creating a soul tie with somebody who is not good for you. And it's hard to break that off once that happens. Now, if it's a parent or someone like that, it's a lot harder to like walk through those things and realize I need to stand my ground. At the time when you become an adult, it's hard when you're a child, you can't do that because you live with that person and there's nothing you can do. But when you grow up and you realize, like, I don't think that those were words of affirmation that were spoken to me. Those were negative words. It was, uh, it's like, you're never going to be this, or we don't do that kind of stuff. Or um, why, why can't you listen? Well, why do you always spill things? It's just like every little thing is a negative thing. So as you grow older, you have to be able to stand your ground and find your voice and say, you can't talk to me like that anymore. And if you do, I am going to lovingly walk away or hang up the phone or whatever the situation is. You know, if you're at a restaurant, like I'm going to go now because I don't need to sit here and listen to this. When you can talk to me in a nice way, great. We can have a conversation. Sometimes that never works out. Sometimes you may have to say goodbye to somebody that is highly abusive. I coach people where the relationships are very scary. And I will tell those women, 
it's time for you to lovingly walk away until or if they decide to get help because if somebody's really mentally ill or just very abusive in many ways, they are going to drag you into that drama. They live for that drama. And you are playing a part in that every time you stay in that situation. You have to pull out. It's really hard. It's not an easy thing. But like I said before, like God doesn't want you to be in hard relationships. That's not what he's, and I think people take, um, scripture of honoring your mother and father completely out of context because honoring your mother and father is when it can be honoring to say goodbye to your mom if it's something that is harming you and you don't have to do it with bitterness you can do it with love and it's very honoring because it's not honoring when you're continuing this crisis of back and forth you know trauma and so I think people have to really look at that for what it is, because it also says like, we're supposed to be in these loving relationships too. It doesn't just say you honor at all costs. That's not what it's saying. It's saying when, when you have these beautiful relationships, you honor your mom and father, but they also honor you. Yes. Amen. There is so much truth there, so much healing there. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that feel that they have to stay in situations where there is abuse, whether it's emotional abuse, some women stay or men, if there's physical abuse, when it comes to emotional abuse, what would you say God's heart is? How is God's heart postured towards people who are in emotionally abusive marriages and um, maybe th there might be some change, but not enough where the woman feels safe. How do they navigate that? I think the biggest thing, that's such a hard question because in a Christian world, again, everybody takes divorce is bad. Like it's, but I look at it as a bigger picture because um, I think that it takes two individuals really wanting to change when you're in a marriage and, you know, it's not good. If you can have that conversation and say, we have to change this at all costs. Can we go to a counselor? Can we go to a therapist? Can we go wherever to get help? And that partner is willing to actually speak the truth. I've had friends that have gone to marriage counselors and then the guy is lying to the counselor. So that's a whole different thing. So then you're like, okay, well you're going, but you're not really in it. So you both have to be in it, right? Again, God wants healthy relationships. It clearly, if you look at the different stories in the Bible, when the relationships are not good, you could take David and Bathsheba, you know, it's like when it, that relationship isn't good, but he wanted what he wanted. Um, God clearly made a horrible path for him because he was like, this is not honoring also, if you read like first and second Kings, like when you talk about the Kings and the generations, right? So these young Kings are, or the princes are looking at their dads, right? Their dads are doing evil in the Lord's eyes, right? But they come from this generation. So then that King dies and his son, some of them young as six years old become King. And what do they do? They do the same thing all over again, because it's generational. So this is, my whole thing is like when a relationship is bad, what I want to kind of preface to them is like, is this how you're going to raise the next generation? Because your children are watching you good or bad. None of us are perfect. We all like mess it up, but it, to what extent? And if you're both on the same page, then that's okay. You're going to mess up some stuff. Your kids are going to love you anyway. It's all going to be fine. But when you're both on different places, if, if, especially if you have children and you're a wife and your husband is treating you a certain way with disrespect and your son is seeing that, you best believe that your son is going to do that to a girl that he starts dating or a woman that he marries because it's, it's what he knows. To him, it's normal. Even if in the back of his mind, he says, I don't think this is right it's already in his body. He already sees it. Those were the things I had to get rid of were the things that I was making agreements saying, well, this is what my mom did. So I guess this is okay. 
everyone else is doing it that way. I guess it's okay. And it came to a point where I was like, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that person. And, and here's the thing. God is such a forgiving God. Like if he doesn't forgive all the stuff that I've done and he's created this beautiful family for me and grandkids for me, I don't know like how people can say like, God is not a good God. He forgives everything, but you have to want it and you have to change. Mm -hmm. So that's the most important thing is it has to be both partners. If somebody is not willing to make those concessions and you are emotionally drained because day after day, they are coming at you, whether, um, you know, emotionally or physically, you know, verbally, and you are getting sick inside, you will get sick. You, you literally, your body is going to have something because you can't hold all of that in. And God doesn't want you to hold all of that in. So does God like divorce? No, he hates it, but he also hates abuse. Mm -hmm. And so we have to really get to this place where he's like, I will save you, but you have to walk through the door we're not stuck to one person when it's really seriously bad. He will give you an out and I'm not advocating divorce on any cycle at all, but I see some people staying in relationships for the wrong reason, thinking that they're going to, their life is going to be horrible if they leave because God's going to be dishonoring. I can sit here and tell you that didn't happen to me. I was divorced, but I've been married for 34 years. And I, I feel like my husband's my first husband. Amen. That's how much God has honored my life. And so, because I took it seriously, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, I will not do this again. And then when I became a Christian, I was like, Lord, just bless my family. And he has blessed it immensely. And like I say, we're not a perfect family. I always say we're a bonded family. We, we have hard conversations when things are going bad, but we can communicate and get to that place where we're like, okay, I'm sorry that that happened. And you know what? I'm going to be responsible and I'm going to try not to say or do that again. And they're like, okay. And we hug it out and we're good and we go on. So you have to have those hard conversations and be open enough. If you find a partner that can have those really good conversations, I don't want to be a grandma that's like, so how's the weather? I want to talk about real things, right? So find you a partner that can do those things and communicate with you. We didn't start off as good communicators, but we just kept working at it. We're all really good communicators now, but it's because we keep studying that. We're not, you never arrive. You don't get completely healed. You are on process. You will never be completely healed until the day you die. You are in process. God is He's working through you every single day to heal those things from the past, to get to be a better person, to do better with the next generation. If we don't start nurturing this next generation, we're in a lot of trouble. People are not paying attention and kids are more depressed than ever. Why do you think that is? Nobody is holding them and talking to them and saying like, what do you need? Like, are you okay? No one's listening to that. Mm -hmm. Wow. How did you break some of these agreements that you grew up in and then break it for your generation, your children and your family? Yeah, well, that was lots of prayer. (laughs) I will say um, I started getting. So the one thing I will say when you grow up, like the way I grew up, there's so much shame attached to it and so much fear. And the biggest lie is that the enemy would say, if you say where you came from, like people are not going to like you. And so you keep really quiet because you hear all these people like, oh, my mom and dad and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, I didn't have that kind of environment. And then um, people will talk about where they went to college. And you're like, yep, that never did that because that was not even, we just escaped. (laughs) It was like 18, I'm out. And so I started, um, going into small groups. I think that is really important or any kind of, you know, if you're a mom, like do a mom's group, like just find your community. So this is something that is really important to me to teach women is that we tend to hold up by ourselves when we come from a lot of trauma. We don't want to be friends. We don't trust women. That's like the bottom line. 
And so our friendships are really hard when we find someone we care about, like that's our person and we stick like glue, but we also don't need smothering. We're pretty independent. So I don't need a friend that like has to call me every day and that kind of thing, but we tend to pull back a little bit too much. And then you don't have your community when you're a mom and you don't have a mom, you need a community. You need people to lean on. You need people to help you with that baby. And so reaching out in small groups was like a, a, a whole game changer for me. And then I was able to start opening up and sharing a little bit of my story. And here's the amazing thing. There's so many people that have stories that are even worse than mine. Unfortunately, I'm like, wow, I thought it was like, my story was the worst. And then I realized wow, thank you, Lord, for protecting me from that. Because there was some other stories where I was like, I can't even imagine. And they are amazing people. And so when you can start telling the truth, so here's the lie is Satan will want you to keep your secret like a gift and keep it inside of you and not share it because you have a lot to say and a lot to share and a lot to bless people with. And he doesn't want that. I believe that God chooses people to be like the mouthpiece for certain things because we've gone through certain things and we have that empathy for other people, but Satan doesn't want us to do that. And so when you can break that agreement and say, I'm going to speak my truth and whether somebody likes me or not, is not I'm not dependent on that. I only have to know that God leads me and tells me I need you. And that's, I would hear God telling me like, tell your story tell your story. And the more I started doing that, people were like, you need to write a book. <laughs> and I was like, no, I just have a crazy story. But that's how it leads to these different things is like, God's like, I'm opening doors for you. But I always tell people, if you don't walk through that first door, he's not going to open the next 10. Mm -hmm. He's going to wait for you. He's he, that's how great he is. Like people go, oh, nothing's ever happening. I pray all the time. And I'm like, but do you take action? Because you can sit in a prayer closet, you can fast, but then what? Mm -hmm. Because God will place people in your life. God will, like he placed you in my life, like amazing. And that's not by coincidence, right? It was on purpose. Yes. He knew you were going to do this podcast. He knew that, you know, there were stories that you wanted to share with people. And so all of those things, like if we don't listen to the promptings of our heart, then we can't get past those things of where we've come from. So you have to start doing things differently. You have to create a safe community. Now, I will preface that by saying, don't go share your story with just anybody that you don't feel safe with. That's none of their business. If somebody's just being like, um, uh, like trying to create drama or gossip about you, they just want to know all about you so they can go tell 10 other people you know, that's a whole different thing. Make sure like you've been in this group for a little while or seek therapy. If it's something that's really dramatic, I I'm a huge fan of therapy. I never used to be. And now I'm all about it. <laughs> and I just think it's so great to be able to grieve those things that you've lost. One of the things I learned this last year is I had never grieved, um, being taken out of my home at eight years old and creating like a whole nother family in an instant because my mom was pregnant by a different man. And so she took us away from my dad while my dad was gone. And so it was like, I, that was the first chapter in my book. I wrote that story. I've talked about that story very clinically, like, oh yeah, I was taking, you know, we, and then we went into therapy for our trauma coaching and I had to read that story and I bawled my eyes out because I had never grieved that eight-year-old little girl to say that was a lot to be taken away from your home, taken away from your dad, losing the trust of your mom, meeting a stranger that is now going to be my sister's father, <laughs> like all these things, like thrown into a whole nother family in 20 minutes, like boom. The next day we're going to a different school. Like it was crazy. We, we moved to the di a different town. Like so many things were lost. And I think people don't go back and dig through. So I think that's very helpful to like comfort that little girl or that little boy. Spend time and realize like what happened to you was not your fault. It was done to you. 
-hmm. but you need to grieve it well to be able to know when that trigger happens, if something happens, it brings you back to that moment. You can come center and say, okay, that's, that's bringing those emotions up because of where I come from, but you're here right now. You're safe. It's okay. And when you can do that, you can create a more healthier emotion in yourself to react differently. Also, I'm huge on like breathing because I know some people just rage if something happens that they don't like. It's like, take a breath because what you're doing is something from the past has come up and it's really irritated you. And now you're going to rage at somebody else, but that's not really what it's about. Wow. So would you say that anger and rage can be connected to grief? A hundred percent. Rage comes from a sense of pain. It's a loss of control. When you get mad, it's because you feel out of control, right? Why? Because something from your past, you felt out of control and you, because you were a child, you didn't have a choice. There were so many things that I didn't have a choice. I didn't want to do certain things. I had no choice. I had to, to survive. So when something happens in the workplace, when something happens in a relationship and all of a sudden you're just raging, it's because you're in pain because you remember like, I didn't have control over this thing that happened to me. And now you're doing this to me again. But the reality is, is that you're here right now. And all you have to do is say, no, I don't want to do that. Or, hey, Let's talk about that because I'm having an issue right now with this and I need to figure out like, why am I feeling that way? We need to talk about this more before I make a decision. It's okay to do that. We're so used to making snap rash decisions and then we get mad about it. (laughs) We're frustrated because we feel out of control or when you see people real rigid and so in control, it's just from a place of fear because they play the what if game. Well, what if this happens? That's why I have to stay in this box. What if that happens? And I'm like, okay, let's walk down that. What if that happens? Let's walk all the way through that. What if it happens? What's the worst thing that can happen? Because you could play the what if game forever. We don't know what's around the corner. So you don't need to hold on so tight because honestly, even when you have plans and God shifts you in a different direction, it's because it's for your own good. And also I had a talk with a a cousin last night and I said, we were having this conversation about something. And I said, he goes, well, I just think it, it needs to make sense. And I said, sometimes it doesn't need to make sense. And sometimes you'll never understand it. There are some things in life. I said, I have questions for God (laughs) when I get to heaven. I'm like, why did you do this? Like, I don't understand. I don't have a good I can't wrap it up in a nice little bow and say, oh, this is why it happened. Everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't happen for a reason. You have no good explanation for it and we don't need to know it. Mm -hmm. God took care. He's like, I did this because I know what I, I know the plans I have for you, right? We don't need to understand his plans are not our plans. So we don't have to understand it or like it. But sometimes he's pulling us out of something because he's like, I got something different for you down the road. But if you're going to stay in this, I'm going to let you because we have free will. This is where people get messed up. Yes. Wow, that is so good. Thank you, Phyllis. What is your advice to anyone who is looking to get unstuck from their story and start living a healed, fulfilled and joyful life? Yeah. So getting unstuck, definitely. I recommend therapy for sure for the beginning, especially if you've gone through a lot of trauma. I think um, church groups are good, but I think um, you have to dig into a lot of the emotional side of what's happened and learn um, mechanisms to really help you calm yourself down when those things happen. And so I've learned like a lot of different exercises, like the breathing and things like that, where I don't react as quickly to things or get um, hurt as quickly when things happen. Cause also not everything is about you. (laughs) 
And so, you know, sometimes something happens and you think that, oh, they said that because this, and I'm like, yeah, they probably didn't. It, they're not, they're not thinking of you in that term, but it's because it's so tender and raw for you. Um, you don't know how to fix that. And so I think therapy is really good to start the process of getting unstuck and, um, and then leading a healthful, joyful life. I would just say through that, asking a lot of questions about what do you want your life to look like? What does it, I mean, I'm a huge journaler. So I started journaling probably in my teens and I lost some of those journals, but you know, I have journals just even from since I've been married, I, I look back at them sometimes and I'm like, oh, wow, here's the great thing about journaling. God shows you a history where like you've gone through some things where you're like, oh, I forgot I went through that. And it was like the biggest thing in your life at the moment. But you look back at it and you're like, that all worked out. <laughs> like we're okay. We're still standing. And so I think journaling your feelings and really your emotions. And sometimes you could just journal Jesus help. Like, I don't even know, like it doesn't have, again, you're not going for perfectionism. You're going for realism. So it's like, be real with your emotions. If you're mad, just scribble on, I'm so mad today. And then in the next day you might go, you know, I was mad because of this. And you just keep writing. And as you pour out and pour out, it does something to your body that releases all of that junk. Cause you are right. The body keeps the score. And this is the thing. It's like, if you're a Christian, we learn really early on behavior modification. So do the prayers, you go in a prayer closet, you do the fasting, you do the things, you volunteer, you help others, you do all these things that are good things, but you're not taking care of your spirit. And so it's a body, mind, spirit, soul, it's all together. So you cannot ignore. And so when people say, God healed me from that, I don't even think about that anymore. I'm like, he didn't erase your emotions or your memory. Mm -hmm. I always say the two best things in the Bible is Jesus wept and Jesus rested. He did those things because he was half human and half God. Mm -hmm. He went through every emotion in the Bible with his walk. Why? Because he wanted to feel what we felt. So if people have this opinion of like, my emotions don't count, self-care doesn't count. I'm like, it a hundred percent counts. It says it in the Bible. If he didn't have emotions, he wouldn't have cried. If he didn't get tired, he, he didn't need to rest. He was God. He didn't need to rest. But God said, I need you. I need to show them what tired looks like, what, what sorrow looks like. And what we learn in trauma is that you can hold sorrow and joy in the same hand. Yes. So you don't need to be afraid of the lament of that time of going through the suffering because God is right there along with you, crying with you saying, I'm so sorry you have to go through this right now, but it's necessary for this time in your life. It's part of your journey, but we're going to get you out, but you need to take your time. You cannot rush this process. People try to like get to the healing and I've got the glory of God and I'm healed and it's all good. And it's like, no, you're still messed up inside. You know, every time somebody says something wrong, that feeling immediately comes back to you. Why? Because he didn't erase your memory of that thing. The things that have happened to me in the past, I'm so grateful for my life right now, but I can look back at the things of the past. I can still mourn those things mm -hmm. and should, because they're a part of me. Do I mourn them to where I become depressed and I go down a dark tunnel? No, you don't want to do that. But the sorrow is ongoing. You don't do it once and it's done. You do it until you walk through your life and then you go, okay, it was a great life and it was full of lots of different things in it. And I felt all of it and that's okay. So I think people get really afraid of sorrow, of like just those hard journeys that they've been through. And I just want to encourage them. If you want to get to a healthful life, learn how to healthily live with some sorrow. Just take your time. You need to 
and rest. If you, it's going to be exhausting, especially if you go to a therapist, don't even go back to work <laughs> because you will cry it out and your body will be exhausted. And then you'll wake up like, oh, I can breathe a little bit better. Wow. That was a lot yesterday. I poured a lot out. It's good stuff when you can do that. I used to never cry because I was taught not to. And I cry all the time now. And I'm not afraid of that because that is such a beautiful emotion because Jesus wept. Yeah. He's like, it's okay. Like I've cried too over things. So I would say, if you want to get to that place, first start with therapy, work through those things. And if you don't like the therapist you start with, find another one, find one that really, really can target the things that you've gone through. Like, especially if you've gone through some kind of sexual abuse or something like that, find someone that really deals with that because a regular therapist is not specialized in that. And you may get wrong information or they may not give you enough because they don't know. And so I think it's really important to find those things that are more, they have in common that they are specialized in, and then just let them guide you through those times and take your time with sorrow. And I think that leads you to a beautiful, healthy life because you learn all the emotions and you learn how much God has walked you through. And sometimes you'll look back and go, wow, he did protect me from some things too. Mm -hmm. It's great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Phyllis. I love how Jesus experienced all of these emotions and that that's telling us it's a healthy response to go there and to share our feelings with him. And the beauty of going to a therapist that is a good fit to help walk us through that. I think God equips people with strengths to help us work through our, our hurts and that it's okay and it's healthy to go see a therapist. I know Jesus is our great and good counselor. And I think that he's also placed people, humans in our lives to also help us with that. Yes, 100%. How has unconditional love for living with the hurt that your mother gave you, also putting boundaries and then finding this healing, how has all of that transformed your life as a woman, a mother, a wife, an author, speaker, and so much more? Yeah, well, it was such a, it was such an amazing journey to go through this with my mom. I, you know, at the end of the day, when I, she ended up being in a nursing home towards the end of her life, because she lost her memory. And, um, and so I remember just uh, the last day before she passed, I, I went to her bedside and I said, you know, I, I love you. I forgive you and you can go now. I'm okay. I'm, I have, I have a good life and, um, and it's okay. And it was amazing because there were two deer that came up to the window and I swear I had this silent conversation with one of the deers just like locked eyes with me. And I knew at that moment, I was like, you're here to take her. I just knew. And, um, and I just felt like all the things that we had gone through with setting of boundaries, with telling my mom, you can say harsh things to me and I'm going to go home today, but I need you to think about this. I'm never going to leave you. I think her response was, is if I could push her away and she leaves, then I could prove the point to myself that, see, no one loves me. I'm unlovable. And that wasn't the case. I loved my mom. I know my mom loved me. And that's why my second line in the book says, um, for a mom who couldn't love me, I don't say she didn't love me. My mom was only capable of so much love. Like she wasn't, she couldn't do big love She because she was unmothered. So this is the thing is I want you to go back through the history too. It doesn't just start with your parents. It goes back generations. So when I went back another generation, both my parents were unmothered at a very young age. And that plays a huge part in them coming together and not knowing what they're doing or how to raise these children. So there was the forgiveness I, when I became a mom and I'm holding this baby, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, how could she have not just protected me better? And when I started digging through, I found this empathy of like, how scary must it have been for her with three children 
single because she the other relationship didn't work either she was a single mom trying to work which she always lost jobs because of her bipolar because it's just like she would self-sabotage it was just this train wreck and I just thought but at the at the core of it all she must have been such a scared lonely woman and my heart just burst open for her I was like And again, it doesn't, you don't forget. It's not about forgetting. She is responsible for doing those things to us as children. But I believe she was trying to have the right intentions. She just didn't parent well. And so I was able to look back and go, okay, well, this is, this is the history. And so I have to be the one to break that off. Like I'm the one. And so I um, just came to a place of like, also, I didn't want to vilify my mom. And so I started again, journaling, what were the things that I loved about my mom? What did she give me that made me who I am? Completely strong. (laughs) We're strong Portuguese women. Like, you know, we, we, if I always tell people, if there's a, a emergency, you want me on your team because inside I'll be screaming, but on the outside, I'm like, okay, you go over here, you do this. I got this, you know, and I don't panic in a, in a crisis because I've grown up with a lot of crisis and chaos around me, but my mom taught me how to be strong in that sense. My mom is an excellent cook and we were very poor growing up. We were on welfare, but she could take things out of a cupboard and some hamburger meat and just make a delicious meal. And she taught me how to cook from the time I was 12, because then when she was working at night, I would have to cook for my sister and I. And so those kind of things, I would look at that. And that tradition, that is a good tradition that we have passed on. So I became a really good cook. I love cooking now. It's very cathartic for me. And it makes me feel close to my mom. And then my daughters ended up leaving home. And then they would call me and say, how do you make that chicken tetrazzini or how do you make the whatever? And they became good cooks. And now my daughter, who's a mom is teaching her children to come in the kitchen. So we all, when we're together, we always gather in the kitchen and just make meals. Like that's just what we do. And I thank my mother for that. I'm like, she gave that to me. So you take the good with the bad and, um, And that is how you don't live with the bitter root of what has happened to you because you can look back and go, you know what? They did the best they could with what they had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Amen. Realizing that your mother was only capable of so much love. How did you come to a place where you could still love her and forgive her? knowing that she wasn't capable of fully loving back a hundred percent. I mean, that's a hundred percent God because <laughs> I couldn't have done it on my own. Like I just kept feeling this prompting where he just kept saying like, go be with your mom. It's okay. And then he would say like, if it got hard, he, he would give me the release to say, okay, nope, we're breaking this off. Um, and so I saw my mom, you know, a lot of times by myself, because even with, when my girls started getting bigger, she didn't know how to talk positive words and my girls were growing up very loved. And so I made a conscious effort to not ever say they were stupid or that was dumb, or why did you do that? Or get mad at them because they spilt milk, you know, because they're kids, like things happen. And so Um, I ended up seeing my mom by herself a lot of times because she just wasn't capable. And I think this is the thing is people want, when they get to a place where they're getting healthy and they want their parents healthy, they think that, okay, so if I do this, this, and this, then they'll understand and be healthy. (laughs) And then we can have this relationship. And I'm like, no, it may never, it could be like that. I have seen some mother daughter relationships healed. If again, both parties are willing, but most of the time, like they're not capable, mostly because they have like some kind of emotional illness or something. They're just not, they don't understand it. And so you just have to meet them where they are and then pull back away and then create your own family the way you want it. And just don't let people keep coming in and trying to change that. Mm -hmm. So the thing, the dynamics that we created was responsible because of where I came from, I had to consciously sit down and say, okay, what do I want? 
my family to look like. And I talked to my husband at the time, who was my boyfriend when we were fiance or whatever. I'm like, this is what, this is the way I want to raise my kids. And this is how I want it to look. And he was like, yeah, that's the way I want it to look too. Like, totally agree. We had lots of conversations on that. So yeah. So, you know, it's like the unconditional love it's, it comes, um, you know, you just have to be able to, uh, have boundaries around that, I guess, is the best answer for that is just, yeah, know that you can pull good things. You can, um, be with them and love them, but it really hundred percent is, you know, God driven. Like he, he just told me never to give up on her. So I didn't give up on her, but also you just can't let them completely in if they're not capable of like, you don't want them coming in and being mean to your children or your husband or disrespectful to the family that you're building. I think it's really important for you to set boundaries around that. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. What encouraged you to be an author, speaker, podcaster, and confront narcissistic behaviors with authority and boundaries? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that slow roll of being in those small groups. And then I started leading the small groups, which was so amazing. And yeah, like I said, I, I used to share my story and it was so funny because every time we would get done, you know, they, they always have coffee or something at the back of the room and I'd be grabbing a cup of coffee and I'd turn around and here's a little 20 something. And she's like, um, can we meet for dinner or coffee sometime? Cause I think I have the same kind of mom and I just want to like pick your brain. And I'm like, sure. So I became a mentor. didn't even know that I was doing that. And I just started mentoring these girls that and that's what I think it was just so shocking to me because, you know, you always think you're the only one and then you go, oh my gosh, like there's a lot of women out there that have had really hard childhoods and unfortunately, and I hate that for them, but also I'm like, well, I think God placed me <laughs> in this position. And so, um, so I would walk them through some things. And then um, at some point, like a lot of people were telling me to write a book and I ended up going to a writers conference in Santa Cruz, California, one of the largest at the time, Mount Hermon. And, um, and I remember getting there and I got lost to get to my cabin. I got there and then I had my bags. They're like, okay, so your cabin's here, here, and it's in the mountains. And so I'm walking around looking lost. And this older gentleman comes up and he says, are you lost? And I said, yep, I'm not good with directions. And he goes, oh, let me see your thing. And he goes, oh, yeah. Oh, you're on the wrong side. Like, let's walk over here. He takes me to the cabin. I thank him. I walk in the cabin and I burst into tears. And I said, I don't belong here. I don't know why you brought me here, Lord. I don't know how to write. I had, it was the first time I had had to turn in a chapter of something. Um, we were in going to be placed in small groups and you had to send in, if you wanted to be in these small groups, you had to send in a portion of your story for them to critique it, the group to critique each other's stories and also to be accepted. So the fact that I was even accepted was crazy. I'd never shown my writing to anyone. And I just started crying. And I was like, I don't know why you brought me here. I, I hate this. I don't know anybody. I'm lost already. Like, I don't know what's going on. And, and he said, go to dinner. <laughs> So they were having dinner down the hall. And so I go, I walk down, I'm just like wiping my tears. I walk down, here's the same gentleman. And he goes, Hey, I swear he was an angel. He says, Hey, are you coming to dinner? And I said, yeah. And he goes, come on, come sit with me. Just took me under his wing. I sit down. I'm still feeling very awkward and very out of place. I'm like, I am not a writer. I don't know what I'm doing here. This is ridiculous. I just want to go home. And this is what happens. You get uncomfortable. God puts you in uncomfortable places. And all of a sudden this other lady comes and sits down and I look over at her name tag and her name was Penny Penrod and she was in my small group. And I was like, wait, Penny Penrod. I said, I think you're in my, my writer's group. And she looks at my name. She goes, Phyllis. Yeah. And we did not stop talking the whole dinner. And it was like, what is happening right now? And so God will take you on these journeys. And I tell people, if it's something good, do it scared. Do not live a comfortable life. That's the one thing I will encourage people. As I became a writer, then all of a sudden I would, the pandemic hit right when my book came out and I was like, what are you doing, Lord? This is crazy. I was supposed to go out and do all these speaking engagements and promote my book and the whole world shut down. 
And, and again, God laughs and he's like, hold on, I got more. And so these are those doors I'm telling you. So if I hadn't walked through that door, then all of a sudden, right before pandemic hit, two months before I had started a, a coaching certification for writing and speaking. And so when that hit, I was like, oh, well, I guess I could coach people on Zoom since you know the world shut down. So that came about. Then the podcast came about, which I originally was doing with a friend and uh, she's still doing her, it. It's 24 karat conversations. I did that for three years that grew immensely, but God was pulling me out of it. And I was like, no, it's so popular right now. We have so many, you know, listeners, but he said, you need to get back to the unmothered. And so I started the unmothered podcast this last, um, I think it was October or something like that. And it has been such a joy to do that. And, um, and then in the meantime, I started coaching the mother daughter, um, course, which is a six week course, and that is becoming the second book. So it'll be a companion to unmothered. So when they read the memoir, they're going to go, okay, but how do I do this? How do I break this generational dysfunction? Now they'll have a companion book to show them how to do that. This is incredible. To all the aspiring authors, how did you get your book published? Good question. So I went with a hybrid publisher. So it's almost like a traditional publisher, except that we pay up front, but then, you know, we have control over the whole book. Like we can buy cases and sell it. Um, they sell it to us at a discount and then we can go out and sell it. I sell it on my website or we can go do when we do, um, retreats or whatever, we can have a book table. Traditional publishing, I will say, is very hard to get into. They may give you a fee up front, an advance is what they call it. Um, however, I've heard that that's becoming less and less because it's really, you have to sell, you have to guarantee like big sales and you have to have a big platform. So writing a book is more than just writing a book. It's like, you have to have a presence on social media that is huge they want to make sure that the topic is relevant for that time. If you only uh, send it to this one traditional publisher and that's the, they don't want you to, to pitch that anywhere else, they could hold on to that for two years, your manuscript, and then say, yeah, we decided not to go with that. And you can't pitch it anywhere else. And so now it's two years old. And so there are pros and cons to it. So yes, you get an advance up front, but you also have to guarantee, and you're still doing your own marketing. Like the, they may have a marketing team, but they want you to promote your book too. So with a hybrid, you get all the same people. I have a project manager. I have an editor. I got my publisher. I have a design team. I have all those things, but I've paid the fee up front. And then I have a little bit more control as to when um, I send my things in. I'm not like on a time crunch as much. Like they just check in and go, hey, do you want to send another chapter in? We're And then we'll review it and then we'll do this. And, and so when it's all said and done, it's kind of like it's yours and you get to put it wherever. And it's still all sold on Amazon and all the major book chains and things like that. But um, it just depends. And then there's self-publishing where you could just piecemeal, you know, find your own editor and find your own, but it's, it, that's really hard and you have to know how to do that. So there's a lot of different avenues and it just depends on what works for you. But I would say really um, check different places out. It's, I do have a course in that where I have recommendations for different publishers in the Christian world that I've met um, through different writers conferences that I trust. And so aside from ours, which is Redemption Press, but um, there's a whole slew of different Christian publishers out there that are really, really good and very loving. And, um, and yeah, it just depends on like what kind of, what avenue you want to take to do that. And if you need help with proposals and things, I have a course that can help you do that. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing the differences between traditional publishing and hybrid publishing. God's recently put on my heart to start writing a book. So I'm soaking Ooh. up everything that you're saying. And I'm so excited for your second book to come out. I ordered your first one for my mom, who has worked so hard to break generational dysfunction um, at being a mother to me. And I can't wait for your next book to come out too. 
what is one thing that we can start doing to echo eternity or encourage others? Mm, I love that question. I think just keeping your heart open and really seeing signs. I think people are so busy right now that they forget like God places people in your life. So when you see that little old lady at the store, like trying to reach up for a can of soup or something, and you just ignore it and walk on by and she's struggling. I feel like those are moments that God's like, do you see my people? Do you see like, this is how you echo and encourage, right? My kids laugh at me because no matter where we go, they're like, mom, I don't know what it is about you. But she, she said, people start telling me their life stories and they're strangers. And so like, so perfect example, Friday, we were at a Costco and I was with my daughter, Dominique, and we were buying a bunch of food for a family meeting we were having. And this man just kept, we were in the checkout line and he kept staring at us, staring at us. And, and I kind of smiled and I'm like, I don't, what's going on? Like, why? And I, I started, you know, the line moves and he puts the, you know, the barrier to put your groceries on. And so I started to put him on and it was, it wasn't a lot of space. It was kind of a small space. So he goes, Oh, let me move my little thing further. And I go, no, no, it's okay. I'll wait. And he goes, no, 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 it's fine. And he goes, is that your daughter? And I said, yeah, that's my daughter. And he got the biggest smile on his face. And he said, I, I love that. I love seeing like grown daughters and their moms. And you know that that was God driven because that's my whole thing as mother daughters, right? So why is he saying this? So people don't, they, I call it a coincidence because <laughs> people are like, oh, this just happened. I'm like, no, that was on purpose. Like God, it's like God kisses, right? He's like, I'm going to pour these words into you. Do you get it? And so he goes, this is so beautiful. I, you guys are oh, this is so, I love seeing mothers and daughters just talking and being together and having a good time. And he goes, is this your only daughter? I said, no, no. I said, I have another one. I said, I'm a grandma. And he goes, I'm a grandfather of eight. And so we had this like beautiful communication and he was like, time goes by really fast. Right. And I said, it does. And so my daughter's laughing because she goes everywhere we go. Like people start telling you things like you don't even know these people. And I said, but I just believe like that is on purpose. Like I think God, when you are feeling discouraged, listen to the cues, see the cues. Like he will place living people in front of you to encourage you. Or if you're struggling or if you're asking, please ask big things, dream big, don't dream small, ask big things because all of a sudden you're going to get a phone call or someone's going to be placed in front of you. And you're going to go, how did that happen when I was thinking that in my head? And now here it is. It's because he hears and he knows, but he's asking you, can you ask me what, for what you want? Because I will encourage you. I will move you to the next place. I will do all these things. That's how you echo and encourage is like, repeat it, encourage it. It comes back to you. It's all secular, you know, like he, he loves to like, I just feel like God just loves to smile down on us and he loves to giggle. And I'm just like, wait, what was that? You know, and, and I just feel like he's laughing, you know, but what are the odds of some guy in a Costco saying, is that your daughter? I love when I see mother daughters together because it's what I didn't have with my mom. And I'm so joyful that I do get to go. I, I was supposed to go by myself and I was like, will you please go to Costco with me? And she's like, sure, mom. <laughs> and so had that not happened, then I wouldn't have had that conversation, but I believe that that was all God ordained. So I think, you know, be an encouragement to others. It will echo back to you, right? It will echo out into the world because the more joy you can bring and happiness, then that's going to just expand more happiness to other people. That's awesome that you said it's a coincidence, God, right? Coincidence, God. That. That's a great, that's a great word. Thank you. Yeah. I got it from someone else. It wasn't really my word, but I've used it for years. I was like, that's a cool word. I love that. Cause everybody goes, Oh, that's just a coincidence. I'm like, no, that's a coincidence, God. <laughs> that's awesome. That's my first time hearing that. Phyllis, how can our listeners connect with you, get your course, get your book, be ready for your next book, all of that? Yeah, so that's super easy. Uh, it's my website, www.phyllismantelli.com. Also, I'm on Instagram and the podcast has its own Instagram. So it's called the Unmothered Podcast and they can go on there and see when the next episodes are. But everything is on 
my website, all my courses, um, the podcast is on there. I also encourage people to sign up for a weekly newsletter because I always just pour out things that have happened in my life or just tidbits um, of things that they might want to know or how I'm feeling at the moment. And they'll get a freebie for signing up for my newsletter. So you can get the five tips of setting boundaries. And so that's like a really cool little thing that they can keep with them. And yeah. Thank you so much. That is awesome. I'm going to sign up for your newsletter and can't wait to be there to see everything that God continues to pour out through you and this new book. Thank you so much for coming today, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your story that is incredible, and for sharing how God has transformed your heart, your mind, and all the generations to come through you and your choices. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Can't wait for your book. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Phyllis. Can't wait to. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you liked it, and if you enjoy the show in general, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to see more about each episode, head over to the Echo and Encourage podcast on Instagram or Echo and Encourage on YouTube.